Okay, three-point range is back with you at the most wonderful time of the year. I will not sing, but I do believe that is the case. This is Mike Berardino, joined as always by the scout, Kimball Crosley, and the professor, Tim Crothers, and we're just talking March Madness. What do you have for us, professor? Why would we talk anything else? You're absolutely right. This is, this is Christmas time for those of us who love college basketball. And uh, I've, I've, I'm coming, coming at you with, with what I believe is the most interesting team in the bracket, and it just so happens that it's a team that is near and dear to all of our hearts, and that is the Duke Blue Devils. And I, I, I have been fascinated ever since the bracket came out. Uh, I, have to, I have to admit my initial reaction to the, to the, the brackets was that, that Duke is in the group of death. You guys can... Uh, you guys can argue with me about that if you want to shortly, but um, I believe that that um, that quadrant of the bracket to be the to be the most difficult. Um, but that said, I, I've still been amazed at uh, at the expectations that I have seen. I mean, I've done a lot of, you know, I'm very interested always in what other people think about this kind of stuff when and always interested in other people's predictions. And I guess the initial the initial uh, reaction we got was was is always from the bracketology boys, and I, I think I'm right in saying as they as they rolled out their their uh, picks for the final four, even for the final eight, that there were no zero zero predictions of Duke even reaching the final eight That's amongst right. all of them. That, I, and, I didn't see it. Nope. And then you know just just. To get a more re get some more recency into it, uh, I read the uh, the athletics um, expert picks this morning, and uh, they too out of out of um, out of their sixteen experts, so called experts. Uh, again, um, they they were just asked who would reach the the final four out of the bracket. It was nine Gonzaga, and five Texas Tech or. 11 Gonzaga and 5 Texas Tech, whatever, something like that. Bottom line, zero Duke. And I just, I just think to myself, um, yes, when it, when it first came out, I thought, yeah, that's a pretty, that's a pretty rough road for Duke. But the, but the, the thoughts that I've heard from people over the last three days are, it's, it almost seems as if Duke has given absolutely zero chance uh, to win the national championship. And it just made me think about, about the history of this season. And, uh, you know, being here in the heart of ACC country, obviously I see virtually every, every Duke basketball game. And I, I still remember very clearly uh, the two games of the most consequence that happened before the ACC season. And I'm sure you all remember them as well. The, the opener against Kentucky, the season opener against Kentucky in the Garden. And then the seventh game of the season against, uh, against Gonzaga in Vegas. And, and obviously Duke won both of those games. And uh, and they were two incredibly highly uh, well played games. I mean, not just they weren't just just sort of schlocky early season games where neither team really was playing very well. Um, particularly the opener against Kentucky, that was a that was a jamming game between both teams playing really well, and Duke came out on top. And so I think to myself, all right, Duke has beaten uh, Gonzaga and and Kentucky. Um, this year, 
two teams which a lot of people are picking to win the national championship. And I think to myself, okay, so most people are now saying that Duke could not be knocked out possibly even as early as by Davidson in the second round. How does this make sense? So I went back and did a little, a little look back at the box scores of those early games. And the, and the thing that's even more interesting is that uh, who would you say on Duke's team, guys, developed most uh, over the course of the season? Um, A.J. Griffin. Yeah. Exactly. A.J. Griffin. And here's, here's a, little, a little history lesson on the season with A.J. Griffin against, uh, against um, Kentucky. He was a non-factor. One for three from the field, two points. Against Gonzaga, he was even more of a non-factor. One shot, zero points. This is the guy now who you know lit up UNC at the Smith Center for 27, and has you know he's he's been a little bit up and down, granted, over the course of the, the late season, but but uh, there are certain games in which he has been a monster, and so I'm telling you that uh, that that Duke beat Gonzaga and Kentucky without, basically without any, any contribution from, from A.J. Griffin. So that leads me back to this idea of how is it that people are so uh, down on Duke based on the fact that they've lost that game against, against UNC at Cameron, obviously, and then uh, in the semifinals against Virginia Tech. And I, I guess I, I always go back to Mike's wise guys at some point, and say, okay, uh, maybe ESPN, maybe the Athletic, maybe a lot of a lot of uh, so-called experts are are down on Duke, but shouldn't we remember exactly what their resume, what they bring with bring with their resume? And sure enough, the wise guys. Um, where do you, if you, if you had to guess, where Duke is uh, of all the teams in the NCAA tournament, um, where Duke is ranked in terms of most likely to win the NCAA tournament. Where do you think that? Where do you think they'd be? I'm going to say fourth or fifth, as per Vegas. Yeah, uh, I'm you... looking at DraftKings right now, you so I'm cheating. You, you can't cheat. Come on, well, man. It's, well, I'd just like to refer to it because I already have a small wager on Duke to win the oh. national title, but uh-huh. and the line really didn't move much. They're eighth at this point. All right. Well, the the the. Uh, the... The odds that I'm looking at have them have them a tie for fourth um, with Kansas behind only Gonzaga, Kentucky, and Arizona. Hmm. And I think that is I think that is you know that obviously is more representative of people who who uh, have their you know have their their money where their mouth is. Um, Vegas can't afford to can't afford to inflate Duke's odds if they shouldn't be inflated, and. Uh, and sure enough, there they are. Even though nobody thinks that they're going to beat Texas Tech, certainly nobody thinks they're going to beat Gonzaga. And you know, I mean, Texas Tech is what six, seven, eight, nine. They're tenth in the odds. Um, but somebody in in the smartest betting place in the world seems to understand that uh, that that the, these guys who are being completely overlooked at this point. And, I, and I'm not sitting here telling you that I'm going to pick Duke to win the national championship. We'll get to that later in the podcast. I know people will be excited to, to wait for our picks. But uh, 
but I just, I, I have just been fascinated and I'm curious as to what your guys' thoughts are about this, this concept that, you know, if you had asked us on, on Thanksgiving day, when right around the time that, that, uh, Duke was seven and zero. They'd beaten Kentucky. They'd beaten Gonzaga in jamming games, and they were number one in the country. the The thought that that we would now be sitting here in in early March, with people saying that they could lose to Davidson, they could certainly will will lose to Texas Tech, and if that somehow managed to get through that, they'll lose to Gonzaga. Meaning that 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 uh, Shashevsky's run will end before the Final Four. Um, I just think it's a it's it is absolutely fascinating to see, and I also you know I think it is important to keep in mind what I was mentioning before about AJ Griffin that that they they were number one in the country with virtually no contribution from AJ Griffin, and we all know now what he is capable of. Um, there isn't anybody else in the country who's putting five number one draft picks on the court, and so I guess I'm just saying um, before. Before everyone buys into this idea that that, that uh, Duke is 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 going down, keep in mind where we've been with them, what what we were missing when they were number one, and what you know what what they are still capable of. What do you guys think? Well, let, let me ask Mike a question before I come in on Vegas because Mike, is it not? Yes, Vegas. Those guys uh, are cold and hard, and they they go by you know the money and what's going to happen. But isn't it also a reflection of when money is spent on on somebody? Like we all know, people spend money on Duke okay. for a lot of reasons, and so maybe their odds are better than the, the experts think because the non-experts spend the money on Duke, right, Mike? Well, I think the only thing that can move a futures line significantly is a very large Phil Mickelson level bet and so i i i'm assuming here i can only assume phil believes in duke but uh you know it was duke was 15 to 1 to win the national title about a month ago a month and a half ago when they came through south bend and i got to see him in person i think it was after that and mike bray raving about him of course afterwards and it was like it was like pros playing with high school boys at times it was one of those games <laughs> notre dame number two seed uh in the acc tournament didn't work out for them but they're they're in this thing so and the line hasn't changed much in the in the ai driven um world of DraftKings, which i would assume is very similar to the other things you can do over your phone but uh no tim raised a very interesting point and i'm always wary and and uncomfortable when there's agreement at this time of year, when there's just ramp now, just a year ago, you could go on DraftKings and have the whole field against Gonzaga and Baylor going at this time on the eve of the tournament. You could have the whole field at pretty enticing odds and you would have lost to get to the final or to win. Anybody to win except Gonzaga or Baylor. The way everyone was talking on Sunday night, everyone seems to think Gonzaga, Arizona in the final, and you're right. A lot of love for Iowa, which is weird. <laughs> That's just weird. Why would you believe in Iowa after all this time? A lot of love for a Texas Tech team that, that can't shoot at all, but number one in defense. Uh, UCLA, I can see, but no one talking about Duke, not even Jay Billis talking about Duke. Now, I just come back to two things, and I'll turn it over to Kimball, but I just, in terms of this victory or last lap 
It's not necessarily a victory lap, but in terms of the long goodbye for Coach K, I just keep thinking back, and I know Coach K has five championships, but Ray Meyer was the sentimental favorite in his final turn back in the mid-80s, 83 or so, to finally get to Paul there. Again, loaded with NBA talent, all those teams that failed in the on the first weekend. And it was Wake Forest that ended and I, at Ray Meyer's career, and he was crying on the sideline, and, and Anthony Ticci was unstoppable. And that's what I remember, uh, Delaney Rudd. And, yeah. Yep. And, <laughs> and I cannot, in good conscience, buy in on Duke at this point because I can't get that Ray Meyer bawling on the sideline out of very different from Al McGuire bawling. And I also can't get out of my mind the angry look that Mike Krzyzewski had from the opening tip against Virginia Tech. He looked like he hated his team. <laughs> he was so angry. He, I, I, and I, did you guys notice that? He, he, you know, that, he looked miserable. Yeah, no, it's funny you mentioned that because one of my thoughts, you know, I know it's going into this was I was going to talk about that. Like, you know, how I, last podcast I said, well, Duke's really going to respond to his message yeah. after the UNC loss. Well, all through the tournament, you know, they struggled against Syracuse. They never really played great. And and I, I saw a lot of that same body language, you know, and I was like, what? What's up? And, and it's funny, you know, <laughs> there's a point I've been there where – you're so mad at your team, you almost like turn against your team for a moment. And usually it's like just a few moments on the bench where you're just like, I've tried cajoling, I've tried yelling, I've tried boosting. And you just sit back and go like, what the F? I, I, I you know, like, I can't, I, I'm just so, so out of sync with these guys. And he kind of had that body language for a lot of the tournament, I thought. And that surprised me. Um, one thing he said, though, was he talked about, well, we only had really one practice in between the UNC loss and the tournament. I'm like, well, uh no i mean he right he, if you had a couple of days there you should have at least had more than one and i would have thought they'd have time to go in the gym and you know with his reputation i would have thought they'd be practicing at 8 p.m or 9 p.m that night saturday night after they lost to unc but but maybe it's that so i i i am with tim in that duke scares me they always scare me but especially looking at the bracket and i, I you know one of my points later was going to say like i really think there's a very good chance that the Duke Gonzaga winner wins the whole thing. Um, and and maybe the other thing is one of the reasons they're not pitching Duke is because Gonzaga is such a strong favorite still. I mean, it still seems like uh, a team that more experts are picking than just about anybody. Uh, talking about a couple guys, <clears throat> one thing you know about the talent, in a funny way, Griffin, and again, it's hard to tell what's going on, but I'm almost guessing that Griffin is a defensive liability and that as much as he lights it up sometimes, because you see him taken out for defense a lot. And, and obviously when he's on the floor, they really don't have, you know, a smaller guard. You've talked to him about how they're you know, vulnerable to penetration by quick guards. And I, I just wonder if that's part of it, that like he can put up points, but coach K knows that they're really not necessarily better with him on the floor. And to that degree, effect i think keels who looked like the second coming of zion williamson a mini zion in those first couple of games is really just another guy right now he, he does i don't think he scares anybody in fact you're usually like good you shoot it because when you're shooting it someone else isn't and he really hasn't been that impactful and even um uh Bancaro is 
I don't, I don't think I don't think he's as as dynamic as a player that people thought. You know, that said, you're right, Tim. I think I, I'm very surprised that that's not, you know, right up there as a pretty common pick. Uh, you know, certainly not a, as popular as uh, Gonzaga or a couple other one seeds, but right up there with other twos. Yeah. Nowhere. Nowhere. I mean, I haven't seen, I have not seen a single person pick them anywhere. Um, Wild. And that that's the kind of thing that might just make Coach K smile at this point. That might get him off of whatever anger he's feeling toward that team because when the, you know now he's got a card to play. Um, and yes, it is it is a little scary. Let's go to let's go to Kimball for the second point. You're kind of teasing some of your thoughts. I'm going to save my uh, oh you are my my bracketology my my helpful suggestions to folks or just observations. Uh, for the for the last point, but let's go right into. Wait, wait a second. Is this your way of getting out of making your final selections? <laughs> oh. We were talking about that. Well, earlier. You know, You've got no. to reveal your championship I mean, pick. I'm not. Surely revealing. you're gonna. Surely I'm you're gonna tell us who you who you're picking to win the win the NCAA tournament. It's not about me. Podcast, right? It's not about me. It's about mm-hmm. everybody out there. Now, you know what? You're right. I'm gonna just go ahead right now, but I'm not. I'm not gonna be badgered into something I'm not prepared to do. Here's what I want to offer up to people. I believe Tim already covered the bracketology from the seeding perspective so beautifully a year ago, right? That was one year ago where you, you gave us the, the idea that an 11 seed, pretty good play to reach the final four. So I, I don't want to go uh-huh. into that because I did go back and check some of the math and I, it was all coming back to me. I hope our listeners will re-listen uh, perhaps to that because uh, there's a lot of They really stuff. should. It was brilliant. It yeah. was as uh-huh. good as it gets. Uh-huh. The thing yeah. I want to point out and and we have a coach here on the on the broadcast, and we have a couple of uh, youth coaches, and we have a, a degenerate gambler, and it it, it should be interesting. Um, KenPalm.com, everyone would would agree that's good stuff, and um, you know, resonates at this time of year, resonates throughout the year for the hoop heads. But in general terms, it seems as I try to make my pick, I'm looking for teams that are balanced. Because you have the adjusted defensive efficiency, adjusted offensive efficiency there. He's even got a category for luck, which is fascinating. Luckiest team in a tournament is Providence. So that, to me, says they'll be going out quickly. Um, but what about the teams that are just grossly imbalanced? Well, just to just throw some, I could go on about this, but I, I have a lot of jottings here. But Duke, for instance, we've mentioned Duke has some defensive issues. But how out of whack is Duke? Well, it's number seven in adjusted offense in the country for KenPalm.com, but number 44 in adjusted defense. That's that's a disparity, but it's nowhere near how wacky it gets for some of these teams in this tournament, some of which people are picking to, to win the first uh, round, at least. So if I just go and uh, the teams that are really good at top 10, let's say, in defense, adjusted defense, but horrible in offense... How big a range can you get with a team that actually was good enough to make the tournament? Well, it's 211 spots. I'll just cut right to it. It's South Dakota State. And the Jackrabbits, who are kind of fun to contemplate, and I currently, in pencil, have them taking out the luckiest team in a tournament, Providence. That's 211 spots between a team that's number 12 overall in adjusted offense and number 223 in defense. The next biggest wacky team is san diego state they could actually meet in the 
Sweet 16 potentially. San Diego State, excellent on defense, number two behind only Texas Tech and adjusted defense, according to KenPalm.com, efficiency. That's 159 spots, though, for San Diego State because they suck at offense. Iowa State, it's 141 spots. They're, and here's an interesting thing for all you, all you gamblers out there. Iowa State will be playing Creighton in the first round. Bet the under. Because Iowa State's number 10 in adjusted defense, Creighton number 17 in adjusted defense, and they are two of our most imbalanced teams uh, when I add it up or subtract because it's 141 spots to find Iowa State's get all the way to Iowa State's defensive rank, or yeah, defensive ranking, offensive rank, sorry, and Creighton it's 109. I won't bore you with any more of that, but I'll say that watch out for Purdue. Be careful now, all you people. A lot of love for Purdue out there. Purdue, excellent offense. Your third most uh, efficient offense out there. Jaden Ivey seems unstoppable. Well, they got the two huge oafs in the middle, but they can't guard anybody. 99th in adjusted defense. So I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it now to the to the coach and ask if you have to be imbalanced. And it's gonna be a fast. I'm keeping all this data and I'm going to cross reference and we'll discuss it when this is all over, and we'll try to come up with some. 2022 observations but would you rather be out of whack and be a great defensive team that can't throw it in the ocean or a great offensive team that can't guard anybody well i'm going to say defense i just think i would normally say that too and defense is more consistent and i think you know in a tournament um you know pressure on i i I don't think it's hard to still show a lot of effort and focus on defense um and on offense you know uh you know, feeling pressure and not being able to shoot. So, you know, if you can't shoot anyway, maybe it doesn't matter. Um, uh, you know, but but you could also make the opposite argue, argument, you know, like if you're really good offensively, then you're not going to be prone to that nervousness. And maybe now you're going to play with more effort than you've ever played with before, if that's been a problem, which I think was kind of true that one Duke team that beat Wisconsin that really was a bad defensive team, but then somehow got in the tournament and, um, and played really good defense. Uh, but yeah, that's a tough one. I'm, I'm fascinated by your luck, this luck factor. I'd never heard of that before, seen that. And uh, yeah, what goes into the luckiest yeah, team? Exactly. What, what are the factors? It? it must be the predictive nature of whether they should have won or lost. And then Providence squeezed out, as we know, they played more close games than anybody. They won more close games than anybody. And then, of course, they get blown out by Creighton in the Big East tournament. Um, I, I don't have all the data points, but I'm assuming that it's just based on yeah. what should have happened and then how the outcome actually fell. And and, and, and Ed Cooley really has been has been uh, stealing stealing money over there. And he should he should go take the yeah. well, you could take the best job. He go uh, come coach uh, Xavier or something. But um, well, how do you guys look at that close game thing? Because I, I I know when I hear a lot of the experts talking about like oh they really know how to win close games, I'm like oh crap. I'm off that team now. <laughs> yeah. I just think you've won more than your share of close games. Like we all know from other sports, like the teams that dominate usually are the best teams, whether it's close or not. You know, that's more reliable than having a knack for pulling out the close ones, even though people think, oh, they really have a feel for that. And so, for example, I backed off one of my favorites, Wisconsin, in my picks, because I, you know, I always kind of like Wisconsin. I thought, well, maybe they have a little more scoring ability this year with, um, you know, Davis, this really athletic scorer. And they always play solid defense. And I look a little deeper in the numbers, like, oh, they've been very, they've won more than their share of close games. And I, now I look at your luck factor, and I think they're like they're eighth the, 
They're the fourth luckiest team in the field. Yeah, yeah. you got to go Providence, Colorado State, Bryant, and then Wisconsin. So to be it's, it's a Rhode Island luck thing. Those are two <laughs> good schools, man. Uh, and then let's see that the the, uh, the most un, uh, unlucky, the unluckiest team, I believe, was Virginia Tech. Let me double, and that would make sense with a, a solid team that kept losing half court shots and such. That would stand to reason. I believe that is the case. Colgate, one of your unluckiest teams. I believe it's Colgate, the unluckiest team, and then Virginia Tech. And then, oh, Iowa has been the third unluckiest team in the field. And I have no faith in Fran McCaffrey. You talk about angry sideline demeanor, bad body language. I, I hate that guy. <laughs> no. I understand that. I mean, how can wow. anybody – they had a, some, a friend of mine who writes in uh, – Cedar Rapids, Iowa, tweeted a photo of Fran McCaffrey's wife hugging his son, Connor, after the game, and Fran was nowhere to be found. And and I think I know why. You wouldn't want that guy in a group hug for a second. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of do agree with, with you about Fran McCaffrey. I, do, I wonder how he ever recruits anybody. I mean, it just who would want to play for that guy? Um, one, I guess this all dovetails back, back this whole – Offensive efficiency, defense efficiency dovetails back to one more point that I'll continue to make about about Duke. And I'm not quite as obsessed with Duke as I sound, but uh, I think it's interesting because if you follow Duke's defensive efficiency throughout the year, uh, they they at one point did have a top 10, top 20 defensive efficiency, and it has slipped over the past uh, you know month or so. And I wonder whether that has something to do with what Kimball's point about the fact that AJ Griffin has played more, um, and maybe maybe he is a maybe he is a little bit of a defensive liability, because um, I do think you know the only real chance Duke has to to slow down a, a good point guard and and maybe mask their mask their uh, their biggest weakness is to have Jeremy Roach on the floor. Not that he's a great defender. I mean, he he was on the floor plenty against UNC when they when they torched them. Um, and, but I, 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 it is interesting that Duke at one time was considered to have a good defensive team. And I just, I, 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 I feel like there has to be some explanation to it beyond the fact that they just don't care about defense as much anymore. I mean, I, I, I've heard a lot of people try to explain it and nobody's really credibly done it. And I, I wonder whether maybe it does have something to do with, with just the minutes being played by, by different individuals on that team. So, um, yeah. Yeah, and you push a team too hard sometimes and they turn on you. And I don't know if that's a little of the body language we saw, um, uh -huh. you know, throughout the tournament. And, you know, that definitely can happen. Um, but that can also turn, which is, again, going back to Tim's point, that don't sleep on Duke because, right. you know, and, and again, I think that's that, that team that won against Wisconsin, there was some of that on that team. You know, you have the same idea. You have these young one-and-done players that come in and – and he doesn't really have the, you know, the stick over them that he usually does, you know, and and their foot is out the door. But they've also been waiting for this one shining moment moment. And maybe they turn it on. You know, we'll, yeah. we'll see. And they're also, you know, you're more rested in some ways in the tournament. It's not a grind. That ACC tournament, three games in three days, especially when they're all close, is tough. Whereas here you played two games in a weekend, then you had the rest of the week off. You know, uh -huh. it didn't. Yep. It didn't affect little Storm Murphy, did it? 
four in four days. Little the, the most Wojo-esque player that I've seen <laughs> since Wojo's playing days. Uh, I'll just I'll just finish up since I have all these jottings and I won't get all revved up again. But I'll just let people know that if you're looking for balance and if I just arbitrarily look for teams that are ranked in the top 40, let's say, in both defensive efficiency and offensive efficiency for Ken Palm, how many teams are just in the top 40 in both categories in this field would you fellows think? 10? Yeah, about that. About 10. It's 15, which mm-hmm. seemed a little high. Now, if mm-hmm. I pare it down to the top 30, I'm looking for pretty much excellence in the, both areas. <laughs> Equally important, you, you would probably say. Uh, it comes down to nine. If you want teams that are in the top 20 in both adjusted offense and defense, it's now five fascinating to me that the five are Arizona and then last year's final four last year I had to double check to make sure I was looking at the right year Gonzaga Houston UCLA Baylor and and just one team in this field is in the top 10 in both and I think they do this often and I'm not sure how much of it really is about quality of competition or not that maybe Tim looks at Ken Palm a lot more than we do maybe but it's just Gonzaga. So that's that's what we have, and I'm going to cross-reference all that after the picks that uh, I have not completed yet. But now we're going to hear Kimball's. Oh, let me just say that we're two-thirds of the way through. <laughs> Damn it, I was hoping we'd that get was, to avoid Yeah, we almost, almost got through without have, the disclaimer. Yeah. We have to do it. We have to do it because <laughs> we like to leave that spot for eventual uh, – Nonprofits uh, to to advertise here, or or maybe one of uh, maybe maybe one of maybe Kimball's agent is is uh, his acting agent uh, should should advertise here. We're open. We're open to that discussion. You're uh, listening to Three Point Range, the podcast. You can follow us at Three Point Range, the Facebook page, the Three Point Range, the Substack. Uh, this podcast can be found on Google and Stitcher and Spotify and uh, Amazon. Oh, all the good places. So thank you for finding us, and good luck with your brackets. Let's go to Kimball. All right, so first of all, let me just say again that I'm sorry. I know we would all love to have one sheet of integrity, but we know that different pools come with different rules. (laughs) And unfortunately... I have traditionally always had my very upset pool and my straight up pool. And so, yes, I'm going to be giving you two different winners. Uh, but no, you know, obviously, no. I should go with my straight up one. Yes, that's um, just, just first, give us your because, straight up one. That's the yeah. one that matters. So, the other's so a gimmick. Little dot. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I felt very little dot. <laughs> and, um, also, we know how frustrating it is. I, I, I want to say, Again, I do not think a committee should choose matchups. Just have some kind of formula, some kind of formula where, you know, it, you know, you have a, a, a ranking system and at least it's, it's computerized and it's close to what they do. And maybe even divide, you know, you still divide up teams from conferences and say, okay, the West is going to have the top ranked team from the West and the, the, second ranked team from the West is going to go to the East and the third is going to go to the Midwest, whatever you do and try and do it that way. But it's just a joke because we all wonder when we get our sleepers and the teams we were so anxious to pick going into the tournament and then they play in the first round, you're like, well, this sucks. 
And meanwhile, there's some bracket over there, some region where you're just like, no, none of the teams are there that are, are quality sleepers. And of course, we've all, we all fall victim to that. Um, and for example, I'll tell you right now, I'm going to pick Kentucky to win my upset pool. Not a big upset, but a two seed. So not a one. So you get more points in the pool. And a lot of people are on Kentucky. Kentucky looks very good. But I am scared about their Murray State game. Like I was oh, ready yeah. to go Murray State on a run. And then you're just like, I can't. <laughs> I can't do that. You know? Um, and so so that sucks because I think that's one team that that is very, very dangerous. Um, uh, I will say that I'm going to pick Gonzaga, unfortunately, in my straight up pool. And it really feels like, okay, you know, we talked last year, like they've earned it. You know, they, they've really become a very good defensive team, not just a good offensive team. It feels like, you know, people have been sleeping them on a little bit, whereas last year it was like it was, we all thought that they were definitely going to win or a lot of people thought they were definitely going to win. Um, and it just feels like everything's better in place for them this year to do it. Uh, and I do think that Gonzaga-Duke matchup um, uh, before the Final Four could be, could be the, the big one. Uh, another couple of points is, you know, for you UNC fans out there, they they got a pretty good uh, path in a funny way to make a, a mini little run and 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 do a little shocking of the world. Do I expect them to do it? No. Would I be surprised if they lose to Marquette first round? No. <laughs> but but it feels like a a, a little eight one matchup versus Baylor, a Baylor team that seems on the down right now, is is pretty good. And then and then you can sort of project them going a decent uh, amount. A you know, having a decent path forward. Um, there's always these teams that people just jump on and get so excited about. And and look, I love Virginia Tech's coach. I love what they do. But I can't believe all the Virginia Tech love now. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, wait, did you ever go back and look at some of the games they lost? I mean, I know they looked good this weekend. <laughs> but they can look pretty bad. And little Storm Murphy can look pretty mediocre too. And and I just think, wow, are people jumping on Virginia Tech? And I think Virginia Tech has has a tough road, like to to be a, a any kind of a, a real sleeper. And we also know when you when you have that great tournament and you you win four amazing games one weekend as they did, and the emotion, it's going to be very hard for them to like get back up there. So as much as I like Virginia Tech, I just can't get excited about their path. I don't know what all this Iowa love comes from. But again, I think it must be just recency bias, how they did in the Big Ten tournament. It's funny you talk about the luck factor because they won that one game on a heave. But of course, that, it still would have gone to overtime if he missed that. Um, so I don't know. Some other highlights. I I really was ready to go big on Wisconsin. But as I said, I backed off. And then I thought, you know, why am I not just jumping on this team that I really don't like their coach and I've never really loved them? But why are we all sleeping on Auburn? Agreed. What, Agreed. What is, what is their resume? Very, very similar to the Duke situation in my mind. It's just everybody has jumped off the bandwagon when they were once number one team in the country. Right. And, and so everyone just puts Iowa to the Final Four, this five seed, which rarely happens. A five seed that could could get bounced so early in the tournament. But Auburn has a, a pretty good path. So uh, my straight-up Final Four, 
and we'll move to you guys, is Gonzaga, Kentucky, Arizona, Kansas. Oh, but let me say Arizona is another team that just, wow, they're getting a lot of love. And, you know, they've had a great season. But before the season, was anyone talking about Arizona? Um, Gonzaga, Kentucky, Arizona, Kansas, Gonzaga over Kansas in the finals. What do you guys have? Go ahead, Mike. No, I'm saving. I'm still pondering. Okay, oh, you might, yeah, might might need a few more minutes. I'll I'll, I'll stall time for runs you. Out of the podcast. It I'll might. stall for you. All right. Um, yeah, I would. I, I as I said, I think Duke's quadrant is the group of death, and I think Kansas is is what is the, exactly what you were talking about in terms of. Gosh, I just wish, I just wish one of my sleepers, like a Tennessee, for instance. Right. Were were in that group, I would probably pick Tennessee to go to the Final Four if they were in that bracket, but they're not, and unfortunately, they're in a bracket with Arizona, who I like a lot. Um, so I think that by far is the weakest bracket. Um, I I do not have a single double-digit seed going to the Sweet Sixteen. Uh, I this is my chalkiest bracket I've picked in a long time, which I it seems seems uh, strange since everybody thinks it's, there's going to be such chaos. Uh, I don't really think so, just based on the matchups. Um, so my bracket is very, very chalky. Um, probably in, in, in reaction to the fact that in the past I've tried to go for craziness and, and crashed and burned, so I'm going to try to be a little bit more conservative this year. My Final Four is exactly the same as Kimball's. No! Yes, Gonzaga, Kentucky, Arizona, Kansas... Um, but as you all know, I was I I sang Gonzaga's praises all last season only to watch them watch them go down in the in the final. Uh, that is the definition of insanity, Kimball. I can't believe you're falling for that again. Um, so I've got uh, I've got Arizona over Kentucky in the in the final, and I, I feel I feel good about it. You know, I was going to, to talk about another team. I thought I had a funny feeling you were going to get some LSU love because it fits a lot of your Frieder factor. Bozmania. And, and why is LSU? It's like they're acting like their, their team got suspended. Their coach is gone. <laughs> yeah. Big deal. Their, their metrics, their, their resume is pretty darn good for a six seed that you might want to like pick the surprise. But I thought about it, but I, yeah, I just, I, I, I couldn't get them past. I, I got them winning one game. I couldn't get them, get them past Wisconsin. I don't know why, but uh, I just, yeah, I don't feel that. I don't feel the Frieder factor with LSU this year, partly because the, I just, I think the team is a little discombobulated. I look at their recent results, but no, I, all right, Mike, I've I stalled have... as long as I can. Thank you. It's, a, it's up to you. I'm going to give you incomplete uh, thoughts, but LSU, I have in a Sweet 16 with that Coach Nickelback, or or uh, apparently he's he's been at Howard, he's been in a couple places. He's coached a game before, and I'm going LSU's the number four overall adjusted defense team for Ken Palm. Uh, not too good on the offense, 89, but uh, I gave him a couple of wins uh, because Wisconsin, uh, a little goofy. Plus Johnny Davis is a little out of whack there, I think, after the ankle problem, and and uh, they weren't quite as efficient in the uh, Big Ten tournament. What I have, well, a couple things that jumped out. You guys do know this Tommy Lloyd situation. That would be historic because, yes, Steve Fisher, the aforementioned, uh, won a championship in his first tournament. But in terms of your first full season as a coach at that school uh, or at any school, Tommy Lloyd uh, is trying to make history. That That's never happened. 
Arizona itself hasn't won a championship in 25 years. Um, another thing to keep in mind, um, uh, the defending champion, going all the way back to Baylor, or going back to Florida with the back-to-back, defending champion now is Baylor. Uh, no defending champion has made it past the Sweet 16 since the Gators a decade and a half ago, and I think we all kind of agree Baylor won't be around terribly long. I have, I'll give you this, I have a, well, I also want to say that Tim, have, going back to look at what Tim gave us last year, the great bracketology on seeding numbers, um, you guys both have three number ones in your final four, three ones and a two. And if I'm adding correctly, that's only five total seeds number. If you add them up, uh, yep. that would be the lowest since 2008 when Insanity ruled and all four number one seeds went to the final four. That's the last time that happened. Uh, since then, the average number of seeds, I don't know if Tim gave us this last year, the average number of the final four seeds in the last 11. 12, in the last, well, now it's in the last 12 tournaments, it's 14.2. It's hmm. jumped up. So um, that's uh, I would be a little concerned with that. So here's I only I, have one I only have one one seed, and I will give you my final four. This won't change. I just reserve the right to update how it's, I haven't decided how it's going to go once they get to New Orleans. There'll be no Mark Few in New Orleans. There'll be no Tommy Lloyd in New Orleans. <laughs> Let's hear it'll it. be it'll be Bill Self. It'll be Jay Wright. It'll be Mark Adams. Can't get enough of the Mark Adams, oh Texas God. Tech, and it'll be angry Mick Cronin. Oh. So that's what I have, uh, and I'm not going any further. Sorry. Uh, but that's one. That's a one. That's a two. That's a three, and that's a four. A one and a two and a three. That's, that's right. It's a Lawrence Welk Final Four, uh -huh. uh, and that's what we have. So we're running short on time. I don't know that we can really have any final, final thoughts. But uh, if you want to know how I think it turns out, I have promised that I will put this on Twitter before the noon game on Thursday. I will get this sorted out. But we hope you learned something. Uh, and uh, we're all, I'm so tempted to go back and do some erasing and get Duke a little farther into this tournament because I, <laughs> I have them out against Davidson. I have Bob, Bob McKillop. No, Bob McKillop ending it all right there. Brainwashed. Yeah. Watched. Oh my God! Uh, you've, gave, you've given us a lot to think about. Thanks for listening, everybody, and good luck with your brackets.